Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Deer Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm your host, Dave, and today I am joined by Cameron. Hello. Jala is back. Hi. And we have with us Adam. Hello. Yeah, so we're we're, we're changing up the host kind of rotation. Leonard is uh, out today. He has a work function. So Adam is kind of subbing in, and he will be joining us as a rotating post uh, for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Adam, tell the folks about yourself a little bit. Yeah. Hello. Uh, My name is Adam Buccieri. I am an animator and game designer. I love horror media, and I'm excited to be here. So what kind of games do you design? I am a primarily a tabletop game designer. I have a board game that I finished, uh, which is incidentally inspired by the card games of Final Fantasy VIII and IX. I think it's cool. And then my, uh, I've designed several tabletop RPGs at this point, but my flagship one is called Enter the Survival Horror, which is, of course, a tabletop RPG inspired by the classic Resident Evil games with a focus on the resource drain and dark hallways and uh, fighting scary monsters. All right. I think that sounds up pretty much everybody's alley. So uh, Mm -hmm. we will have links to those uh, in the show notes. But today uh, we are here to revisit Until Dawn and now the 2022 Supermassive Games, the quarry. And we've looked at Until Dawn. It's been a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, 2017, I think. It was one of the earlier episodes um, where we also took a look at a Wendigo, so we'll be checking back in on that because the quarry, it's a new, or I guess it's a it's an iteration on what uh, Until Dawn was doing, and I think that contrasting those two um, will make an interesting show, so we, we pulled that together. So first we will take a look at Until Dawn. Uh, I will kind of turn the floor over to Adam and Cameron mm-hmm. just to kind of give a, a, a brief overview on what Until Dawn is in case you didn't listen to that episode. <laughs> mm. So Cameron. Yes. Y- you played, did you play it just the once? Uh, yeah, I played it just the once, although I think I've watched it like nine or ten times with different people playing it. Uh, so I'm, I'm fairly familiar with Until Dawn. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, uh, so the, the general overview is uh, Until Dawn is a slasher horror movie, but a video game, essentially. And you follow the, the typical sort of B-horror group of teens slash young adults. They try to survive Until Dawn. Da, da, da. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's actually a a very interesting game, uh, primarily because 
it recognizes that it's a relatively narrative focused experience and so actually switches things up throughout you know it does the typical it's got a little prologue where a couple of characters are killed off and then transitions into the main story and all that uh but throughout the first half or so of the game the primary threat is this uh again very classic slasher villain guy in a clown mask doing doing saw style traps and things like that and then partway through the game it switches up and says actually that was all a prank there's a real monster <laughs> that's been running around this entire game and that's the actual primary threat which is in this case the wendigo the native american uh spirit predator parasite uh of cannibalism that has apparently been haunting the mountain the game is set on now that's sort of the general overview Okay. Uh, uh, something that I think is interesting in the the structure of the game is mm. that uh, to to reference what you were saying about like there's kind of two horror movies playing out simultaneously where there's mm. this kind of like saw esque prank gone wrong uh, like serial killer plot yeah. yeah that's also happening simultaneously with the Wendigo subplot, and they both act as red herrings to each other. Mm. And the way that they kind of weave in and out and faint off of each other um, is a big part of the appeal of the game to me. Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's really fun looking back and going, oh, this was that, and that was this, etc., etc. Yeah. Yeah, so Adam, uh, this game kind of has a few it, it's pulling in like qtes and some other video game trope things forward uh and the i believe it's the, the totems that you have to kind of pick up mm -hmm. so of those like little systems do those are those additive what are those doing within the game for the player yeah so for the play i don't know if we explicitly stated this but this mm. is definitely in like uh the david cage mold of the interactive movie where yes. largely yeah. you're you're either piloting a character around and exploring a space with some basic interactions or you're in an action scene of some kind and there are qtes that you have to react to um in order to survive and I would argue that this is probably the most successful of the the David Cage movie film mm. game genre. Um, I think probably the QTEs are, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, keep him out. Classic of genre, it's yeah. gonna catch on. <laughs> um, but the QTEs, I think, largely are successful um i think that they do a better job of mimicking what you're doing on screen so mm. you know there's kind of the classic like press square in order to do something and those aren't terribly interesting um but the two that i think that are unique to this game that like left an impression to me are you'll have a gun and then something will jump out at you and you have to shoot it in time. And so you have to mm. drag your cursor to a precise location and pull the trigger before a timer runs out. And I, I found that to be like a pretty successful, stressful activity to do. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, which I did think was excellent, um, was the, the game came out for the PlayStation 4. And mm -hmm. as a result, um, it's using the, the DualShock 4 controller, which has motion sensors 
And so one of the QTEs is don't move. And you have yeah, to hold yeah. your hands very still. And <laughs> so they're, they're cool. actually quite challenging. Like, mm. you have to be very still while doing it. I think that does a really good job of emulating holding your breath while something scary is just around the corner. Um, so I think this is definitely above average as far as, like, QTE gameplay mm. uh, type stuff. Um, you also mentioned the totems, which act as, like, little uh, previews of things that are going to happen. And they come in various flavors depending on, like, how dangerous the premonition is going to be. I did not like these very much, both because I felt like they weren't terribly good hints. It's not like they were designed to allow you to avoid danger, particularly. Mm. But also, it was frequently a reward for exploration, and uh, I, I did not find that terribly satisfying as a as an incentive. Yeah. So that sounds like, though, um, if you played Until Dawn on computer, you would totally miss that extra bit from the PS4 where you've got the you know DualShock situation going on, because of course. You know, you're maybe not even using a controller if you're playing on, um, you know, the mouse and mm. keyboard on computer. So, yeah, I don't know if you would be able to adapt like that feeling to uh, a controller or mouse and keyboard that didn't have motion sensors. I wonder. Um, and I actually I... did like double check to make sure it hadn't gotten a PC port because yeah, I was going to say was something it... I would be interested in in how yeah, they adapted was... it. Yeah, I I was gonna say like um they couldn't emulate that on PC probably so that's why they maybe that maybe that's why they never did a PC port of that particular one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think possibly. the company was trying to do uh, PS4 exclusives uh, and yes. along with a few others where uh, the later games um, done by that uh, production company uh, weren't, weren't. I don't think all of them were. Anyway, the uh, the dark anthology series, dark pictures, dark pictures anthology. Yeah. Yep. And so the game also, I'll, I will I will back myself up slightly. This is one that I I attempted to play, um, and that was one of the issues I think, um, when we were doing the first episode was I I didn't get the chance to play through the whole game. I played probably about an hour, and I just wasn't jiving with the control scheme i think mm. um so i did watch a few let's plays and that uh because of the, the the nature of these games where you have multiple endings and many kind of fail states um the characters can die off and you can have all of them die or none of them there's there's iterations of that mm. the, these games make it a little easier as you go through each time to make it a little quicker but um yeah just just watching these as a movie or you know kind of someone else mm. playing it i don't think there's anything they really lost with that just by how to play i didn't feel like oh now i'm just missing out on making like these guys walk around in circles looking for totems <laughs> yeah um, but what i did like in watching it were these segments with um, peter stormare and uh, he yeah. kind of just pops in and gives sort of an unreliable narrator vibe to the whole to the game like you don't know as much what's going on and you're also unsure of you as the 
player who who are you like mm. whose eyes are you looking through until you kind of get later yeah mm -hmm. i did not play this one at all um i was because first off i don't have a ps4 so i didn't have access to it so that would be a good reason why i did mm. attempt to watch pull from duckbeat tv uh try to go through on Hexcrank, uh the live stream that cole does every week and i could not stand it i felt really like sick and upset and i just had to nope out of there and it took me a long time to figure out what the problem was but with the slasher movie they always have the slasher stereotype characters you know the archetypical mm characters of the the dumb teenagers or whatever getting killed by you know whatever the killer is at the particular time and a lot of time those characters are intentionally unlikable but they are also like usually bad people i mean at least they <laughs> they come off as being very bad people in the very beginning you want to see them die that's kind of the point mm. and so when I was going through this, it was, for me, more like, okay, these are all super stereotypical. Um, not all of them are white, but a lot of them are, like, white frat boy kind of people, mm. sorority type people. And, like, that's danger zone for a small person of color, who you know, a mm. small female person of color. And so, like, the actual horror for me, I found out much later when I took a look at it and was talking to Dave and kind of discussing, like, my feelings and how I was upset about it. And when I was talking to him, that's when I realized that it, the, the horror for me is not the stuff that's going on on the screen and any of that. And I'm not turned off from the characters just being unlikable. It's actually the fact that I am actively forced to participate in a narrative and make decisions and you know like your decisions are not usually as flexible as something like a telltale game where you have mm. capacity to say no and take a different path they have you on rails this is you know uh, there's only just so many ways that this story will play out and so um you go along with it or you go along with it grudgingly, but you still go along with it. You know what I'm saying? And that is what makes me uncomfortable. But I wasn't the one playing it. It still occurred that I still felt uncomfortable watching Cole play it. And I think it's because, you know, I'm watching him play it, but someone is presented with that decision and I'm watching it. So I'm obviously like becoming immersed in what's going on. If it were a movie, like a slasher movie, I wouldn't have that feeling. So, yeah. so it was this weird thing when I finally realized that because it took me years because I was like, okay, I watched whole play through um, House of Ashes, the mm. Dark Pictures anthology title, and I had no problem watching that one. But that's because that one was military assholes, and <laughs> I don't have as much of a frame of reference for that. And that's, mm. yes, that's Danger Zone for people, but that's not um, necessarily like something that I personally have had to, you know, confront in my actual life. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and to add to what you were saying, um, I can't speak for the quarry, but Until mm. Dawn features a, a truly loathsome group of teens who, oh, man. Uh, especially <laughs> if you are, um, you know, just 
starting and getting your first impression. It opens mm. with just uh, a sequence that is like incredibly cruel and mean spirited, like mm. <laughs> really rough first impression of these of these teens. Yeah, and uh, Quarry. It started with the characters being pretty unlikable, but I still feel that uh, they are way more likable than the Until Dawn cast. Mm. And as the game goes on, and I, I have been told that this also happens in Until Dawn, as the game progresses, you end up learning stuff about the characters that kind of redeems them a little bit and makes them more tolerable as you learn tidbits about them as you go through the game. At least with yeah. the quarry, that is true. Um, I don't know about Until Dawn because I could not hang out long enough to see that. I'm actually curious because um, when I played, started playing the quarry, I started having those same feelings and I had to mm. consciously remind myself, okay, we know what's going on here, you know, and, and <laughs> kind of separate, put like a layer of separation, even mm. though the game is about immersion. Yeah. And once I put that separation in there, then I was able to play it and it was fine. And, you know, especially as the game went on, it got easier to play. But right at first, I was having that same issue. So I'm kind of curious if now that I finished and put in all the time to play the quarry, actually a couple of times through, uh, I'm curious to see what would happen if I went back to Until Dawn and tried to play it now. But we'll have to see sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's worth attempting again, at least, you know, don't push yourself obviously but i i agree with the with the the statement that you know as the game progresses in until dawn you definitely get to know the characters a lot better and get to like them a lot more uh there's there's still a few that are just kind of stand out assholes that i really didn't gel with even by the end of the game uh but yeah i mean part part of it is uh finding out you know their actual already their character their backstory a little bit but then a lot of it is also seeing how they deal with the events and seeing them in many cases rise to the occasion does make them a lot more likable than they are at the start, which as Adam said, I was like, wow, <laughs> just start the game. You're like, I don't like any of these people except like one or two of them. <laughs> like Sam is good. Sam is good in until dawn. I don't know about anyone yeah. else. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, the character of Mike, who is like starts out as the jock archetype. He's um mm. actionably Nolan North. Like there's yes. just an uncharted yeah. <laughs> about. <laughs> but um but he he starts out uh being complicit in like the the really awful quote unquote prank at the, mm. the beginning of the game. And you know, definitely doesn't come off great as a first impression, but he rises into to the occasion in a way that is admirable and charismatic, mm. at least, if, if yeah. not outright good. So, like, I would say that, like, there's, like, two of the teens who are, like, truly wretched, and, and mm. the rest are varying degrees of, like, ah. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good there, way to put it. <laughs> there, there's one character who, um, you know, is definitely coded as the bitch archetype, mm. um, who is one of the worst expressions of that type of character that I've seen in media. And, and my yeah. greatest regret of the first playthrough is not shooting her in the face when I had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> really kicked myself for that. Oh, uh, wow. Well. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, truly awful teams is a way to put it. And yeah, uh, and I, I would say the quarry definitely eases up a little bit on that. Like, there, there's no singular introductory moment like that where you go, okay, like, almost everyone is on board with whatever's going on here and they are the literal worst. Uh, you know, it takes its time, it takes it slow to introduce you, but in that sort of, that opening couple of hours, those first few chapters, you get that distinct, like, well, you know, they, they think everything's perfectly normal, so they're behaving perfectly normally for themselves, which is they're a bunch of self-absorbed teenagers. <laughs> Uh, cruel or otherwise, uh, depending on each of their personalities. Uh, but they also sort of, again, grow throughout the game. Uh, a couple of them, again, really rising to the occasion. A couple of them just sort of there for the ride. And the thing that I have to say about the Quarry's cast. So, um, one of the characters that I absolutely could not stand right at first, Mm. Dylan, Mm. ends up becoming once you learn more about his character and his backstory and motivations and stuff like mm. actually you know he's just a science nerd who's trying yeah. to put up this this front of being you know this this goofy airhead uh, you know mm. kind of character and like you can have him have a whole subplot of romance with Ryan and yeah. that actually the two of them have such great charisma and you know, like they're just cute on the screen mm. together because mm. they're both so awkward um that it's very charming actually and those end up becoming very very cute together but like the game i don't know if this is the case with until dawn but the Mm. the quarry it felt like there was definitely a point where i expected certain characters to get more time on screen and then they just never did it it, like uh, caitlin for example does not have very much to do and is often passing the buck to ryan for some reason and it's like but you're the best with the gun why are you handing every everybody else the gun why like this doesn't make any sense you know like Mm. they they start her out they develop her they take the time to have her um you know take charge once the gun comes into play and then she just passes the buck and then is in the background and it's like Mm. i don't get it what what is this you know (laughs) so um I don't know. It, it's probably something having to do with the fact that they have nine camp counselors to juggle and yeah. they have to try to, to figure out what they're going to do with the story. But in certain instances, it just felt like, well, you know, you made this really strong uh, Asian female character who then just is not active at all. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. you know, and then like the center stage people, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, the blonde white lady (laughs) is like center stage okay you know they could have done better with that you know like and uh, granted they did give ryan a lot to do um for a large chunk of the game and he is a black kid so you know at least there's that but you know yeah i i would agree that until dawn probably has uh too large of a cast as well um you know a, a bit of screenwriting advice that uh, has stuck with me is take two characters and just combine them into one more interesting character. Mm-hmm. And I think if they just like, you know, did that once or twice, that the the game would have been stronger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, 
it, it is just kind of a scope thing. Uh, was it Until Dawn has six or seven playable characters, I believe. I think it's and seven. I think it's seven, and it juggles around a bit. There are there are a couple of characters that sort of are there at the start and then show up right at the end, um, depending on how things go, and otherwise don't really appear. But it's a little more cohesive. But then you get un- you get into the quarry, and like uh, Jala said, there's nine playable camp counselors that each have at least a small section of gameplay. Plus, mm-hmm. there's probably seven or eight other major characters walking around in the story as well and it is it does feel like a few characters really got left by the wayside with the the juggling act there yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. well and i think they really like they wanted to make the game have because what they ended up doing is they ended up uh, saying that they were going to add online co-op in the month of July. It is now the the end of July. I do not know if they added it because I have not actually looked to see if they updated that. But they were adding online co-op for like up to seven people, I think. Oh, Something wow. like that where you yeah. can just like vote on what to do. And like if you're doing couch co-op, you can pass the uh, controller back and forth between people and each take different characters and mm. they were trying to make a larger playable cast or continue to make a larger playable cast in order to provide parts more or less for everybody to sit around and play this movie together mm. and that's an experience that Dave and I did have we did play this game um, with a couple of friends and then we also played it one-on-one and you know sitting here co-oping the thing together so and that is fun. That is fun because, you know, you're in a group and you are making these decisions together, if you will. But at the same time, it's like uh, definitely some bloat going on on screen. Um, mm. It's like it's hard because they can't really make the game much longer without getting into the problem of, well, what if that character died all the way back there? You know, like they, they can't mm-hmm. yeah. extend the yeah. game out longer with the layout that they've got. And, you know, that's also probably part of the reason why there is that bloat, too, because they want the ability to kill off some characters and still tell a story. And they have to have enough mm. of the cast to still do that. Like, if that's you've got a very good point, yeah. if you have four characters, you can't kill them off. So, you know, that they're going to live at least this many hours until somebody starts to die. So then that means that it's not really slasher flicky. You know, mm, like they're trying yeah. to make sure that they can kill people off and still have enough key players to go on. Mm. Yeah, that that is the tricky part of it, I guess. Because, you, you know, like a, a typical slasher film is 90, maybe, maybe 100 minutes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, the Quarry and Until Dawn both go on, go on for, you know, 7 to 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you you need you need bodies, I guess is the yeah. answer I mean, I, yeah. I feel like with, with the correct antagonistic force, with the, with the correct sort of plot going on, you could maybe play around with like a four or five person cast. Like, I, I think with with the quarry especially, it would have been interesting where certain characters get pulled out of the story. They don't necessarily die, but there could still potentially be playable sequences with them. Whereas in the actual game, it ended up being, you know, this person gets infected and then they're out until the end credits mm-hmm. usually kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like there, there, there could be a way to sort of work around that, but I, it would be a lot more work than just saying, okay, we got 
three or four extraneous people because we expect three or four characters to die over the standard playthrough. And we still want to mm-hmm. have a few people at the end. Yeah. Can I also just interject real quick that I think mm. that if you're playing uh, one of these style of games and you're just like, I'm going to look up a guide so I can get the golden ending, uh, mm. you are not playing in the spirit of the, the medium. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, let, let some teens die. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, my quarry experience was exactly that because I completely misunderstood the quick time mechanic, and so I got Ooh. it right about fifty percent of the time for the entire time <laughs> through. Um, well, I will. Yeah. yeah, for for the quarry for me, I definitely okay. So there's only like a couple of shooting segments, and hmm. I did not remember what the button because the button for everything else is like X, and then. Yeah. The, you actually have to use the right trigger to use the gun. And mm. uh, there was a part where a character kicked it because I was pushing the X button. I aimed and I was pushing the X button. Everybody's like, what are you doing? Shoot. And I'm like, I'm pushing the button. And they're like, that's not the button. And I'm like, why isn't it the button? Everything else is this button. Why is suddenly it's a different button? That doesn't yeah, make any sense. Yeah. I learned how to use this gun three hours ago. I haven't used it since. I didn't remember, you know, so. That's like the mechanical version, uh, like like a mechanical expression of, you left the safety on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, yeah, that was me with the QTEs, because in the prologue, they they have that little thing where, like, a phone falls down and you go to grab it, and the way it works is the prompt shows up, and then a split second before you would fail it, it shows a directional arrow for where you're meant to push mm-hmm. the button. I mm-hmm. never saw that directional prompt my entire playthrough because I would always freak out and push the direction I thought it wanted me to push. Oh, like, I'm, I'm going to be out of time. And so oh. I, I played the entire game as everyone being like panicky on edge, <laughs> immediately doing <laughs> well, what they thought was best. And I got like three so, people so, killed. <laughs> so are you saying that you like you failed the prompt before it even appeared on the screen? Like the the prompt were... would appear, and but the way it starts is it starts as a circle, and then as you get closer to failing, the directional arrow begins to appear on the circle. So you're meant yeah. to see that something's happening and wait until that last moment to push it. But my brain and... goes, "Oh God, push the button!" <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was me too on a few of the QTEs. Right at first, mm. I kept on flubbing them because I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I know I'm supposed to be pushing the thing, and then like I'd push it, but it wouldn't be at exactly the right time. Mm. Because you have like it, the timing of it is real weird on on the quarry for sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I found that added to my experience because I think if I'd known how to actually do them, I don't know if anyone would have died, and mm-hmm. I feel like that would have would have made it a little less of the the real slasher experience I ended up getting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man. something mechanically that those do is uh, in in the quarry in particular when you're doing the QTEs you don't you get a few early chances to where it's not a fail state like it, mm. it, it you flub it and the character just kind of flubs what they're doing yeah but it as the game ramps up you don't realize that flubbing it is like a yes no state and they just they lived if you made it or they died if you mm-hmm. didn't and yep it, it's punishing you a little bit because that wasn't the case like the whole rest of the many hours you've been playing the game yeah yeah and sometimes they'll juggle something you'll get three prompts and like oh on that third one you know whoops yeah you can tell but um mm. so um, 
There, Go ahead. I, I, one of my favorite uh, action sequences from in, Until Dawn is mm. early on, you're playing as Mike, uh, the Nolan North, and <laughs> he's running through the woods, like uh, uh, trying to catch up with someone who's been kidnapped. And mm. you can fail all of the quick time events. And it's spectacularly funny to watch him just, like, <laughs> fall off of logs and, like, dunk himself into rivers and slide oh, down, man. like, snowbanks headfirst and just, like, really wreck himself. It's, yeah, it's yeah. very funny to, and, yeah. to watch that. And that, that is so within genre for this, like you said, early on David Cage-style game because... I think my first introduction to Heavy Rain was a YouTube video of an FBI agent just hitting every <laughs> vegetable in a supermarket, slamming into boxes, hitting a door on his way out, and just failing to catch someone. And that, that yes. for me, is sort of the epitome of this. Like, if the sequence is well-written and well-animated out enough that you can fail every prompt, and the story still progresses, and it's absolutely hilarious, I think that is the perfect encapsulation of what this kind of game is about <laughs> yeah just it, it would just be like the um it was a martin short film uh mm. where he's accident prone uh and and he's bumbling but it's injuring everyone around him and, and he's never <laughs> never gets hurt uh, so it just reminds me of that or or just the like the live action pink panthers that's mm. yeah oh, that yeah, reminds me slight slight tangent so. yeah <laughs> slight slight tangent that cameron and adam might appreciate is mm. uh that that what you're talking about with that martin short film and the mm. situation there that is a um i don't know what they called it in deadlands but deadlands had a thing where you could be jinxed and uh, yeah. so i created a character for that game, which is a <laughs> Wild West undead horror yeah. tabletop game. And I played a character that was an inventor that had a flamethrower and she was jinxed. And so <laughs> she would just like blow crap up next to her or, you know, torch her friend or whatever when she was trying to. And she was also terrified of everything. Yeah. Um, like did was terrified of the undead. So it was very fun to play this character that was just like, more or less, you could just imagine it to be like, uh, anime character hijinks on the screen mm. all the time whenever yeah. <laughs> I, I was playing her. So, oh, that yeah, sounds that sounds very fun. fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unlock is so, always great. <laughs> yeah, with um, until dawn, we have kids trapped in a cabin up in Canada as the base premise. Um, they're like at a ski lodge where they get they get invited to a ski lodge uh, via an old friend. Uh, and that it just kind of goes from weird slasher to, okay, no, there's actually something spooky up here mm. in addition to an unhinged, uh, slighted friend yeah. in, in for a revenge, uh, revenge saw games going on. Uh, what, um, we missed it. What's the premise Jala of the quarry? It's Friday the 13th and we are at a <laughs> summer camp and there are camp counselors, except this time there's werewolves. Yeah. And I, it's I was it's so all glad it was werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's werewolves. Um, there is a gypsy caravan uh, that is involved, and you know, like a, a traveling circus type thing. Mm. Um, 
And also you're channeling some Resident Evil 7 vibes because there is just this backwater um, country family that the Hackett's that live on this property and mm-hmm. run the camp Hackett's quarry. And it used to be an actual quarry where, you know, there was mining going on and that since dried up. So they turned it into a summer camp on the property. And there's a big old house with some very uh, country sounding folks living there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like the, it, the game kicks off with a couple of the counselors heading to the camp early. They are trying to get there ahead of schedule just to get settled in and everything. And they come across a creepy cop that mm. is telling them not to go there and to go to the motel. And they're like, You're, we're not going to listen to this creep-ass cop in the creep-ass woods telling us to go to a creep-ass hotel. And that's like more or less lifted directly from the dialogue. And yeah. <laughs> so like they ignore him and go to Hackett's Quarry. And that's when things start going wrong. And mm. then they are taken off the playing board for a bit. So it sounds very much like the recipe in Until Dawn, how there are a couple of characters that disappear mm. for a while. Yes. Uh, and then reappear later. Those same characters do show up later, uh, although not at the end of the game. They have uh, a little bit of agency uh, and a little bit of action to them, um, probably two thirds of the way through the game. Yeah, they end up with um, one of them, anyway, ends up with like the longest playthrough segment. It's like mm-hmm. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stuck as one character. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that, that game, it's kind of a a similar thing. They don't, they don't exactly know what's going on at the quarry. They just know Mm. that they're, you know, having some creepy experiences and whatever. They, they keep on chalking it up to bears and that is a drinking game for you. (laughs) Watch somebody play that game or play that game yourself and take a shot. Anytime somebody mentions bears, you will be so (laughs) drunk so fast. Yeah, it is, uh, it is prevalent as an excuse for werewolfism <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i was gonna to be, say to, to be honest like a werewolf isn't that much scarier than a bear like running um, into a bear at camp is also real bad news yeah i mean i guess the thing is if you get away from the bear there's not a risk that three hours later you'll explode and also turn into a bear <laughs> that is it that's valid <laughs> oh man um yeah like i said i was really glad it was werewolves um long-term listeners of the show know i'm the guy who loves werewolves um (laughs) and it felt obvious like that that's the thing is until dawn like we mentioned has the twist partway through where it's not sore it's a real monster movie and it's been this the whole time uh whereas the quarry is a bit more straightforward and the interest is more in uncovering the story of how we got to this point. But, you know, like until dawn has a masked man with a flamethrower stamping around and a guy in a clown mask stamping around. Whereas the quarry, you play this little 20 minute prologue with two characters and the camera zooms in on the full moon and starts singing, fly me to the moon. (laughs) You go, is it werewolf? And they're like, yeah, it's Wells. You were right. They told you in the first thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> what if it was Bayonetta. Could be Bayonetta. <laughs> that would have been an excellent twist. Jumping in front of the moon. 
Well, I will say that these werewolves do not look like a uh, wolfman type werewolf no. that you might be thinking about whatsoever. They look to me more like Nosferatu or something because they're bald yeah. and they got the long tongues and the mm. big old mouth with the. I don't know. Anyway, like not necessarily 100% Nosferatu, but they are uh, reminiscent in some ways for some of the features that they've got. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're all like mostly hairless and super elongated looking. They're, mm -hmm. um, if you've not seen them already, there's, it's a good visual reference. I think it's like the werewolf in the third Harry Potter movie <laughs> hits that same kind of mm -hmm. keynote of it's a long gangly thing with lots of teeth and claws. Uh, although the the teeth in some cases are really like jagged and messed up uh, on a couple of the werewolves in this case that they, they look definitely very less natural, which I think is a good fit because they are, you know, very supernatural werewolves. Um, and it's uh, it transfers all the way to the transformation sequence, which we get to see a few times, which is good. Um, because, you know, we we don't have anything long and drawn out and painful. This is some kind of weird curse. So the wealth grows inside of your skin until it gives it, it until your body gives out and you explode into red mist and a werewolf is standing there in your in your place. I was going um, to talk about the transformation because I was just like, this seems <laughs> sort of anamorphsy, except not slow. This is like a real yeah. fast, but gross <laughs> and messy and probably mm. extremely painful at least oh, from yeah. the reactions of those characters mm. process so i mean yeah. i uh as i believe i mentioned before i have not played the quarry yet yeah. so uh, <laughs> i'm being spoiled a little bit but that's fine ah, uh you knew what you said what that before. reminds me of is of course the seminal 2004 hugh jackman vehicle van helsing yeah which uh yep. features uh werewolves who transform by ripping off their skin which is pretty mm. metal like yeah pretty it's pretty yeah, good it's a fun idea and it, it sort of calls back to a lot of early werewolf folklore as well because uh, a traditional quote unquote traditional uh way to find out if someone is a werewolf is to cut their skin and see if there is wolf fur underneath it uh, because the idea is that the werewolf lives under your skin and when you transform you just pull it off and there you are you're the werewolf uh, so this is all kind of in that vein, but obviously amped up for 2004 Van Helsing shock horror, and then amped up to a literal explosion for 2022 mm -hmm. standards, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's fun to see it sort of draw back on that old root of it's something physically inside of you, not just the spiritual werewolf, but it literally is there under the surface. Is very cool to me. Yeah, that that sounds pretty compelling to me mm. yeah and it's not just a physical change they get a few minutes period of emotional duress um mm. that that the, the cursed person is under to where they're aggressive and kind of hostile yeah uh, and then they then they change and then like there's the telltale golden golden eyes that they get before they transform mm. And they do really well with the animation here as well. Like there's a couple of scenes where someone is beginning to transform and they start standing a little differently. It's subtle, but the, the whole body language sort of changes until they are almost like looming despite not actually being any taller yet. And it sets you up for that. The camera stays still, the explosion goes off, 
and the werewolf is there much taller than the original human form uh, and it's sort of yeah that you get that emotional change the eyes change color the body language changes and then full wolf uh <laughs> Yeah, and I think another aspect that's really interesting is the the, the werewolves themselves uh, have have very high regenerative um, capabilities, but that extends mm. to their just cursed human form, where yes. they'll grow back limbs and eyes and things um, mm. prior to them transforming, and then I believe they just keep them. Yeah, yeah. It does seem to be the way one of the characters... Uh from the prologue actually shows up partway through the game sort of kill bill style appears with an eye patch dramatically uh, <laughs> and ends up uh turns out that they've been bitten and partway through the game someone else just goes hey wait a second let me look under the eye patch and it's like oh your eye grew back and you just didn't notice because you had an eye patch on <laughs> which <laughs> is really funny <laughs> yeah and the while they do explode, they, I guess, explode back into human mm. form. Yeah, uh, I was wondering of, about that. <laughs> the time of them not. At, and I think, so when they burst into their wolf form, it, it shreds their clothes. They're, they're yeah. totally naked. Yeah. Um, and then when they transform back, well, they get to keep like their under things. I, I think that's literally for the modern day video game rating stuff because oh yeah yeah no it is there, for sure. there are characters um, literally going i'm completely naked while standing there in like boxer briefs mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like really yeah. naked it's, help it's... and like you got clothes on man you're good <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a perk of the curse yeah <laughs> <laughs> you get to keep the under things nothing well, else kind of, survive <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of like um bruce banner the hulk you know, mm. turning into the Hulk, but his pants miraculously are still... They just become shorts. They just become shorts. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. His crotch did not get any bigger. No. <laughs> I mean, Which is a story. very funny image if you try to imagine that. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah. That's why angry. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'd be angry, too. Those shorts are way too short, way too mm. tight. I mean, restricting, man. Yeah. Gotta get some airflow. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've yeah. cracked the code of why he's so angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get well, that man the, the, to kill. Yeah. The physical design on the werewolves is mm. while it's it's different than traditional or at least pop cultural picture depictions of werewolves, it does resemble what they decided to go with for the Wendigo design. Mm. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's an in-house studio. We're just gonna we like monsters to be gangly, naked and bald. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of it it feels like it fits like um the it's not explicitly a setting that all the supermassive games take place in, but you kind of get the feel over the course of Until Dawn, the uh, the Dark Pictures anthology, and this, that this is all sort of the same world with just weird, different things happening at different periods in time. So it kind of makes sense that these two types of monsters, the Wendigos and the Wells, that are both just a transformed person, 
within that same setting sort of end up similar relatively there's differences in the details but the overall shape and stuff is the same definitely and there's also the idea of yeah the, the actual dev studio's preference like one one guy on the design team really likes this designer monster or everyone on the animation team went this is probably the easiest way to do this mm-hmm. we've already got yeah. the skeletons rigged up from 2016 <laughs> well and then too when it comes to the quarry there mm-hmm. are various characters who turn into werewolves but they need all of the werewolves to look the same so that way you can't tell which one is which so you don't know mm. who you're killing or whatever if you're trying yes. to hunt a werewolf that's yeah. part of the worry is like oh crap somebody got infected i wonder who this is that is in this werewolf that i'm mm. about to shoot or whatever yeah it does kind of backfire a little bit as well like um later in the game there's lots of talks talk about the white wolf which is like mm-hmm. the the progenitor of the curse in this particular part of the story is like you know if we take out that one well everyone else will be cured and characters are talking about like yeah i saw it and i'm like which one was it they all yeah. look, <laughs> they they all look mm-hmm. near identical to me the lighting is dark enough in scenes that i don't think any particular color of werewolf stood out <laughs> I'm like okay i want sure. the purple one yeah yeah the purple wolf would have been a better choice give it give it some real color (laughs) (laughs) yeah they do something somewhat similar in until dawn where there's like uh the most powerful wendigo Mm. and you know like the alpha um Mm. and and they kind of make a big deal out of it but also like it's just it doesn't look any different than the other ones meaningfully just like 15 percent taller Yeah. I mean, it's there, like you said, for the story purposes, you need that ambiguity. There's there's several points in the story where someone goes, hey, it's that werewolf we're going to kill. And someone goes, no, it's probably someone else. Let's be sure before we, you know, try and do X, X, Y, whatever. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think that's okay with, within the, within the, the, the immersion of playing it as well. I think that plays into the feeling of you don't know how many of these things are out there. Like the game started and I was like, you know, getting through some of the initial early monster sequences. I went, maybe there's just one. And then immediately you, you cut between like one character getting mauled and another character getting chased and go, okay, so there's definitely more than one. And then it just keeps going from there. Like there could be a dozen of them. No, maybe there's only the two or three. Uh, maybe there's four or five. And that uncertainty sort of does help keep a bit of tension in the background because you're never fully sure that the wealth you just saw occupied with a different character means that this current character is safe kind of deal Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i will say that the um the hackets for a family that's been cursed for six years dealing with this very specific problem Mm. uh has a terrible like it's not a surprise when you're going to turn into a werewolf. No. Uh, their <laughs> containment system's really bad. Mm, mm. Also, let's close the camp, like, the day before or the day of the transformation yeah. and of. everything. And everybody's got to leave, like, now. Now. <laughs> like, okay, that's real dumb. If you already you know. You, by sundown, you have to go. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> nonsense right there. That's not uh, a good planning. I will say though that when you see the the 
father and one of the sons mm. doing the whole like hunting season. They put yes. the sign out and they <laughs> smear the blood on their face and stuff. Like, and one of the one of them is like the big burly dude with mm. you know the overalls and no yep. shirt on underneath and the ball cap. Like, boy, yep. that was. And they got the music twanging in the background. That was a scene <laughs> for sure. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, Lance Hendrickson commenting mm-hmm. on Teen Japes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? He says he's like, I'm fucking done or something. Yeah, yeah he does. He, At some point, he's just like, off I'm... fireworks. He's like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. These so, kids have definitely. willfully endangered themselves at this point. I don't care anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much. Trying to save these kids. This is bullshit. <laughs> that's uh, that's got big Tucker and Dale versus evil energy mm. to me. Yeah, just, yeah, kids yeah. just keep killing themselves all over my property. <laughs> well, well officer, I've had a doozy of a day. <laughs> I mean, yeah. from their point of view, it's like we gave, we told you, we told you so many times to get out. <laughs> then you couldn't leave because the car was broken because one of you broke the car. So we told you to lock yourselves inside, and then you immediately found fireworks and started having a beach party. What are we going to yeah. do? We've done everything we can. <laughs> it's like, at this point, let Darwin go. And, yeah. and uh, Darwinism shall prevail. Mm-hmm. We will see who survives the night at this juncture. Remember, yeah, what doesn't think... kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> stronger and stronger. Um, yep. Yeah, that's... <laughs> there's, there's some silly stuff going on there. It was one of the... the the things in the beginning of the game when the kids like sabotage themselves to mm. be stuck there and uh Chris Hackett, the, the camp count, the main head mm. of the camp, he's like, Okay, kids, you gotta like stay here at um stay here and lock you know, lock the doors and don't go outside for anything. Um and this is a bunch of bullshit and I gotta go. Yeah. And you're as the player like well, you have a car, man. You could it wouldn't have been comfortable, but you all could have, you could have taken him in town or something. And like, yeah, that would, that would not have worked. That would have been even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're 20 minutes down the I-35 and the driver explodes into a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That was a comment that I made when we were playing it, when we mm. were at that part, I was like, homie, you have a car. You can absolutely at least take some of them or you can stay there and let them cram in themselves into the car and let mm. them drive your car off to town and you will catch up tomorrow. You know, you could have yeah. done that. You could have let them go instead and let them all crammed in there like a clown car and, you know, made their way out of there. And mm. that would have been the easy route. He just let them have his car for the evening because what's more important at this point I got to go down and check the basement, kids. Um, lock the like, I'm locking it from the outside. You gotta, <laughs> um, don't let me out, no matter what I say. <laughs> don't go in. Uh, One yeah. thing I didn't mention about the quarry is that you do have, like in the Dark Pictures anthology, when you have a curator, you have mm. a curator role character. Uh, there is the woman from the circus caravan who mm. reads fortunes with tarot cards. And so you have that same mechanic that you do with Until Dawn when it comes to the totems and having like a glimpse of the future. That happens, but basically you have to pick, you you collect these tarot cards throughout the game mm. as you play. Some of them present themselves 
very obviously when you switch camera angles and other ones you have to actually actively hunt for. And once at the end of the chapter, you come across this curator character, she will look at the cards, tell you a little bit about each card to give you an idea of what kind of a hint you might receive from, Mm. you know, learning more about that card. And then she says, I can only read one of these to give you a glimpse into the future. What do you want to see? And then you Mm. pick one and, you know, you might have four cards on the table, but you get one option. So then you can see more or not see more. (coughs) And then she will just show you like a glimpse of something that's coming up in her crystal ball. And that scene that is portrayed is just like, an important instance it's not necessarily like a turning point per se like it's it's mm. a it's important instance but it's not necessarily like okay you have to be sure to do x like it doesn't tell you that it just yeah. basically yeah. makes you aware of when there's like an important decision that has to be made or an important action mm. yeah yeah it, it, the, the totems in until dawn would be like here's a glimpse of the future there is a deer and it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, cool, but you're not telling me like the articulation point that I need to like pay attention to, you know, you're just, mm. there is a deer. Got it. Yeah. S- some of them in the quarry felt more useful because I remember a yes. lot of them in Until Dawn being like six frames or something. It felt like mm-hmm. completely isn't. These are a tiny bit longer and some of them are sort of more direct and showing you what's going some of them are just like here's a black room and there's a tiny bit of light i'm like i don't know what that means and one of them was like here's you cutting some other counselor's hand off with a chainsaw and the text of the card is like this is a useful thing to know i'm like okay i guess when i get the chance i'll do that (laughs) (laughs) and it was apparently the right choice although it did also lead to that character getting killed like four hours later so well done, me. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel yeah, I feel they were more useful in um, in the quarry, and I think also part of that is they're less compartmentalized. Like in in Until Dawn, they're sorted into like four categories, which like depends on the severity of the of the moment that they're showing. But is you know like here's a guide totem or here's a death totem. Like none of these like some of the guide totem stuff led me to get a character killed because I didn't understand what it was trying to tell me. And then some <laughs> of the death totem stuff wasn't actually a character dying. Like the very first death totem you find shows a character dying and that character doesn't actually die in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is, this is very strange. <laughs> Whereas in, uh, yeah, in the quarry, they were more straightforward. And I think with the, with the accompanying text of the tarot card, which it was also a nice touch uh, sort of lays into the themes behind each specific card because it's uh, the, the main suite, you know, the magician, the fool, all, all that kind of thing. Yeah, the major arcana. Yeah, mm-hmm. the major arcana. Thank you. I forgot the term. Um, actually leans into the themes of each of those cards a bit. And so you get a little more context for what that card's vision might mean. Whereas un- until dawn, you pick up a, a, little bit of a totem pole and you see 2.5 seconds of the future and you've got no idea. 
Yeah, as somebody who actually reads tarot cards, mm. yeah, I was happy that they were using the major arcana and that the descriptions that the curator character was giving you mm. were accurate descriptions of what the significance of each card is. Yeah. So So yeah, that was a a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in comparison to Until Dawn, the the fortune teller is sort of fitting the role that um, Peter Stomare played as the mm-hmm. um therapist in the first game. Uh in that she's speaking directly to she's speaking to the player whereas yeah. the other one's it's, it's sort of fourth wall messing with um in both games but uh the, the cards you're getting in the quarry are they're not only her cards mm. uh, from the incident that caused the whole thing to start with with the hackets but they're also her agenda so yes. when it's showing you glimpses of things and you you're you're given a sort of direction um and a method to to get rid of the hackets yeah if you like pick those options yeah she she has like, a clear thing she wants you to do yeah whereas it's a little more uh a little more murky with peter stormare in until dawn who's just there to sort of guide the game a little bit um which was something in Until Dawn that I think could have been interesting in the quarry. Until Dawn, there Peter Stormare will have you pick what you think is scarier out of a certain set of things, and I believe it influences <laughs> one or two uh, jump scares later in the game. Nothing, nothing too crazy, it, but it does. Yeah. But like, it's literally <laughs> like, well, are you scared of spiders? And then it's like, <laughs> yes, I'm scared of spiders. And then the next scene, a spider shows up, and it like, yeah. <laughs> it's really pretty blunt. Oh yeah, <laughs> but so it, it's fun to be able to to tailor the scary part of the narrative a little. I think. Mm-hmm. Can I also say that that mm-hmm. um, a psychologist framing device is like also actionably the framing device from Silent Hill: Shattered Memories. Uh, a, a not amazing video game that I have a weird mm. soft spot for, but like, it's really, really the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, although I do have to say, the quarry does let you customize the your game experience a lot more than Until Dawn. A lot of other ways, which uh, has any <laughs> have either of you, Dave or Jala, tried out the movie mode? I watched a friend of mine stream it on movie mode because uh, said friend was has had already played through once and then turned right back around again and was doing like a whole like entire weekend of streaming of the quarry and mm. finished the game like two or three times over the weekend. Yeah. Um, just like marathoning it with a friend on the couch and, you know, just streaming the entire thing. So um, that being the case, they had turned it on movie mode, which basically takes out like the QTEs. You still make your decisions, but the QTEs mm. and I believe even the shooting sections are taken out on that okay. mode. And yeah. so that just basically means that, you know, you don't have to worry about killing the characters off by missing a button push or something. Mm. And then you're just kind of watching everything play out. Um, 
otherwise. Does it like default you to the golden ending where everyone survives and you complete all quick time events, or is there still room for teens to uh, die? So you can actually pick, I believe. Like it straight up says you, it's got a thing with everyone lives, everyone dies, or neither. So you you can pick the the dark ending, the golden ending, or you can actually set, I believe, uh, predilections for the characters. So in Ooh. stressful situations, this character will be bold or anxious or whatever. And if you set it like that, you can just let it play out and see what decisions they make and see who actually makes it to the end, I believe. I, I haven't actually nice. experimented with myself yet, but it's certainly, certainly an interesting way uh, and you know, for people for whom having to actively make the decision themselves might be uh, much more anxiety-inducing, that, that, again, that level of immersion, this is another way you can sort of distance yourself a bit and mm-hmm. literally experience it as a movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like that they give you those options. That's cool to hear. Yeah, it's it's also good for accessibility as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the friend that had gone through... Uh, it does have a chronic illness and does have, you know, like a disability. And so uh, important for her to be able to, you know, uh, see everything the way that she would like to see it. So Mm. definitely good for accessibility reasons as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I'm always happy to, to hear stories about accessibility modes, like making a difference. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't know how um, the co-op, online co-op versions work in so far as the QTEs are concerned, because um, like I said, I haven't had a chance to take a look and see if that update actually went through or not, or, um, you know, or if it got delayed. But, um, you know, you're supposedly making, taking votes on decisions so i don't know with the qtes what happens like is the Mm. person who started the game in control of the qtes or do those just play automatically no idea offhand on that yeah Mm -hmm. that's interesting so between the two games we have the the windigo and the werewolf we kind of looked at a little bit more on uh what the where what what they did with the werewolves mm. in the quarry, uh, and years ago we took a look at the Windigo. Uh, but <laughs> um, so Adam, what was your like not, not specifically reaction, but um, how did you feel about these Windigos when they did finally start showing up? Yeah, I I am pretty into the Windigos uh, in Until Dawn as a horror movie monster they um what they feel like is if like what if when a deadite possesses you it turns you into a werewolf like i i do think that there's a lot of werewolf dna in Mm. this incarnation of the wendigos but like the cool twist to me um is that in order to become a wendigo one you have to choose to become a cannibal. So, like, there is an element of of choosing to, you know, cross cross that boundary. And then the spirit of the Wendigo enters you and transforms you into the monster. But what this means is that when you kill a Wendigo, the spirit is released and free to possess a new body. And yeah. 
I think that's a really cool, uh, I made a note that it's like, that feels like a D&D problem where it's like, mm. okay, there's a, there's an immortal monster that will reincarnate every time I kill it. How do I actually stop it? And the solution that the, the stranger, you know, this uh, flamethrower wielding, uh, uh, I, I believe he's a First Nations person yes. uh, who's, who's yeah. related to the mountain um, and is, you know, familiar with the mythology. His solution is killing them doesn't necessarily work. You've got to trap them. And mm. so he just, like, locks them away in this abandoned asylum, presumably forever, which I think is a really neat solution to that mm. problem. Um, yeah. You know, if, if there's a finite number of spirits and you can trap them in hosts... And presuming that they, they can't simply starve to death, which would release the spirit, then, like, that's a, a, a clever uh, hmm. uh, solution. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a turn of phrase that I'm losing. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a clever lateral thinking solution hmm. to uh, a problem that's not obvious. And then as far as, like, just how they look and how they move, I think they're suitably creepy. You know, they're tall, they're gaunt, they're spindly. Yeah. Um, and they move with, like, a really jerky, jittery mm. speed. They're very fast. Um, they they but they, but they scuttle. Motion. Yeah. It's stop motion? Yeah, like, they do have, like, a kind of Harryhausen quality mm. to them, um, which feels fun and classic. <laughs> So yeah. I think that they're they're a cool monster, uh, and um, one of my favorite details is that they have the power of um, mimicry, and they yes. can imitate voices, which mm. is a cool and effective horror trope. Uh, you know, it makes me think of the movie Annihilation and like the yeah. bear. Oh, oh god, the bear! <laughs> <laughs> it's so scary. A lot of what you're saying, and I I did not listen to the episode with Wendigo mm. from prior, but a lot of what you're saying, that sounds very much like what I know of the actual legends of Wendigo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. It's very in line with the, the traditional tales. Um, right down to it being a possessing spirit rather than just a yes. physical monster, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. That yeah. does have, like, some cosmological implications. So, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, pour yeah. one out for the, the religious scholars <laughs> in the <laughs> Until Dawn universe. Yeah, and then trying to see um, a sort of through line in these games and piece together what terrifying... If this is one, like, shared world, like, it's mm. not a safe place. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> mm -hmm. just the whole american northwest is incredibly haunted and the ocean <laughs> and, and the ocean yeah and wherever they were in house of ashes i forget mm. what country deep deep down in the earth <laughs> yeah somewhere in the middle east I'm not sure mm -hmm. I don't remember. no safe places don't don't dig too deep don't go into you know it's a standard standard safety things don't yeah. don't, don't go, go into the dark forest alone no, no. <laughs> why would you do the abandoned asylum don't go to summer uh. camp <laughs> this is maybe a silly question but um mm. they they haven't actually connected these stories and explicitly stated they're in the same universe correct i don't believe uh no they never said that but what they what they do do is put 
flashes of the next game, like in in each previous game. Wow. So while they may not like actually be connected, they're they're physically connected as far as the the games are concerned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they haven't done like what Remedy did with Control and be like, actually, this is all. Oh, all of our no. games. That that'll be like ten years down the track. They'll release the next game, and it'll be like the werewolf camp counselors have gone to the Wendigo Mountain to fight the zombie horde. Don't like retcon this shared universe. Just yeah. <laughs> just have these little isolated. Make it like Supernatural, where it's just mm. things just happen, and yeah. you don't have to. Come. Rami Malek has become a dark wizard. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i think that that pretty much uh covers these two games uh, unless anyone has anything that they wanted to mention before we call this one uh no i think that's a pretty decent coverage yeah uh my, my clothing closing thought is that i like these games uh you know mm. they're they're kind of dumb in a way yeah. that really appeals to me. Um, you know, as previously stated, like, I have a weird soft spot for Van Helsing. Me and my brothers mm. watch it, like, any time that we get together. Yeah, uh, I love, you know, Evil Dead, and I feel mm. like this uh, Until Dawn definitely has, like, some Evil Dead energy to it that I appreciate. Like, there's some real... The, the, the performances, I think, are really charismatically captured and uh some of them are suitably broad you know uh the the therapist and Rami Malek's character specifically are really entertaining pretty goofy performances mm. uh and I'm just kind of I'm just kind of here for this so I yeah. have not played the dark pictures anthology or the quarry but um they're definitely on my list I I like this mm. kind of this specific flavor of camp Nice. I, I will say the the dark pictures. I've only played most of the Man of Medan so far. It's definitely more budget horror than the the main games. Obviously, they're smaller endeavors between their main games. Uh, but just just don't expect anything from dialogue. My God, <laughs> <laughs> we went we went past cheese to some kind of new fermented dairy product. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe it's like the fermented shark that folks oh, yeah. in Norway eat or whatever. Yeah. The stuff that only only people who are acclimated can even stomach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the dia- dialogue's a bit rough in uh, Man of Medan. <laughs> Still very enjoyable. Uh, and it, it feels nice as, a, as an encapsulated uh, Until Dawn or the Quarry style experience. Sort of shrunk down in scale and scope a bit. Uh, which it does have a smaller cast, which is also nice. Um, mm. But yeah, don't, don't expect the the same level of quality as Until Dawn there. Just just be aware of that. <laughs> I th- I mean I think I'm largely okay with that. Like I mm. I'm fine with a, a lower budget, shorter thing. I'm interested in seeing where it goes, even if it's not yeah. going to be you know a total success. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the same with A Little Hope and the other one <laughs> that I can't think of the name of. Uh, uh, House House of Ashes. House of, House of Ashes. Ashes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one yeah. that I, that's the one that I watched. 
Yeah, they're all they're all a little bit more self-contained, which I I kind I appreciate that. Um, it's mm. nicer to have something more bite-sized than I felt even um, that the Corey was a a little long in the tooth. Uh, Ten hours mm. was not like it's not like a big ask, but partway through, I'm like, okay, can we we see where it's going? You can probably wrap this up a little bit. And then they added a whole nother chunk of the game. They're like a whole section of the game. They yeah. did, but it wasn't in a way that um, it didn't add a whole lot to it because it ended up short shrifting like half the cast. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we, I mean, we understand that that's part of most of these characters are supposed to probably have not been there anymore. Um, mm. But what if your, your chosen, um, final teen uh like they didn't make it or what if they're the one that's the last person there and they just didn't get anything to do mm-hmm. so um yeah they definitely there's definitely favorites in the cast as far as like the strength that they put behind a character for sure so that'll be interesting to see with their next game um what they do like each of these has been iterative they've improved a lot of things their their motion capture and and um their software for like rendering faces is, is becoming pretty phenomenal it's it's out of it's a little further away from the uncanny valley now mm-hmm. um uh, until dawn for its time in 2015 looked i mean looked really good but oh, yeah still had a something's off with I think the eyes or the mm. mouth, something, some, some motion in there was a little too like puppet, like doll, like or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, that, that didn't really feel too much the case in the quarry aside from a few times where you could tell that they're recording these, uh, the motions and everything in, in different spaces like, like independently max in the very beginning <laughs> is just looking at Laura's collarbone or boobs or who knows what. But uh-huh. not looking where he needs to be looking, like, no. the, the whole time. It wasn't just, like, one little part. It was yeah. the entire beginning. Like, his, his eyes, his his head is not in the right place. <laughs> he's supposed to be driving a car. He's, like, looking down and going, yeah. dude, eyes on the road. Please. please, please. Oh. <laughs> and then I think he's trying to help her climb something, and he's just looking off into the distance. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Mm. It, it's 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 it breaks you out of the moment it's like what is going is something is he okay yeah <laughs> i know i was actually like is there something wrong with him because he's like not he's, he's not, not where he's, he's not where he needs to be right now <laughs> one, one of his character traits is that he doesn't understand the eye lines yeah <laughs> it, it, maybe, maybe but no it, it no later on later he on. didn't yeah he it's didn't have that, that problem it was just whenever they did the prologue um maybe I don't know. I think they were just really focused on getting um, Ted Raimi like on point. They they put all their energy mm-hmm. into him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I gotta say that's such a selling point to me. Uh, Ted Raimi is an absolute delight in uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead, the television mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in anything he's ever been in, it's just <laughs> so good. He's great. <laughs> so that's what that's one of my big motivations for wanting to play the quarry. Yeah. Definitely go for it. It's well worth your time. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think uh, we'll we'll call this one and wrap it up. Uh, do our little bit of admin 
So, um, Jalo, where can folks find you on the internet? They can find me at Jalachan in places, including Jalachan.place, where I do Jalachan's Place, a <laughs> podcast that is a series of interdisciplinary discussions with friends. We cover various media and alternate that with talking about real life issues and topics that are of interest. Mm. Excellent. And Adam, how about yourself? I am just starting to dip my toes into podcasts. I've, I'm around. You can, uh, you know, probably do a Google search and find me in a couple places. If you're interested in following me on Twitter, where I mostly talk about tabletop stuff, I am at Adam Bucheri. That is A-D-A-M-B-U-C-C-E-R-I. And if you want to check out my game stuff, you can find me on itch.io uh, under my uh, publishing name, Boo Cherry, which is Boo like the ghost, Cherry like the fruit. <laughs> All right. I'll have those, as I mentioned, um, in the show note links. And Cameron, how about yourself? Uh, you can primarily find me on Twitter at night underscore Twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, come by, look at photos of my cat, hear me complain about how tired I am because <laughs> I have a wedding in seven weeks and that's taking all my energy and focus, but also work's happening. So life, life, yay. Um, <laughs> mostly, mostly come for the photos of my cat. She's real cute. I promise. <laughs> all right. You can find our, our wayward co-host Leonard on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. Also on YouTube under the same. And I believe, um, is, uh, Umbernox productions. Yes. So, uh, as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at sentinel underscore plus that will be in the show notes and the show itself. You can find on monster deer dot Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>